Welcome to Three Ain't a Crowd, the podcast exploring creativity, mental health and social change. Each week I'm speaking to different guests about the way in which they use a variety of artistic and creative mediums to affect change. My name is Van der Canton and I'm an artist, facilitator and researcher. Today I am joined by Sharon, who is an artist, museum educator and mother of two living and working in London. Since January 2018, Sharon has been working on a mixed media collage series called Seeing Ourselves. With over 200 pieces in the collection, she has exhibited in a number of galleries and delivered collage workshops, including at the National Trust. Seeing Ourselves explores identity, beauty standards, representation and Afro hair. Sharon makes hand-assembled collages almost daily as a way to be present, reflective and mindful, each piece enabling her to take space especially where she does not see herself represented. Sharon, welcome to Three and a Crowd. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for inviting me on, Vanda. It's lovely Thanks to speak to you. Thanks for being here. I feel <laughs> like this is a long time coming because I've been following your work for a while and I've just really wanted to pick your brain, to be honest. Um, I'm really interested in the work that you're doing, the thinking that you're doing. And also, have you just learned to ride a bike? I've just learned to ride a bike and I actually went out for a little bike ride this morning. Did you? I did. Um, I had a nine o'clock meeting and then at around eight o'clock I, I thought I'm going out for a little a little bike ride because I knew that I've got I know that I had quite a busy day ahead. Um, but yeah I learned to ride a bike age 45 literally about a month ago I think now. Love it's never it. too late. <laughs> never too late but but what what kind of sparked the sudden urge to learn to ride Uh, I think it was partly to do with the fact that um, during lockdown so we're kind of uh, now we're in at the end of August and um, during lockdown my husband and two kids had been riding their bikes um, and I've just been walking alongside there were two bikes actually so my husband would walk alongside with me but he could hop onto the bike at any point and I just couldn't and so I felt a little bit left out. I thought, actually, mm. if I'm not going to learn now, when am I going to learn? And I live really, really close to open a park and some open space and a canal. I'm not brave enough to ride along along the canal yet. Um, <laughs> I could end in disaster. <laughs> it really could. But I just thought, if not now, when? I mean, uh, I've got a loving how, sport. How did you even learn, though? Like, did somebody teach you? Did you just kind of jump on how did it work they taught me so um a few years ago actually I tried a a couple of years ago I tried to ride a bike and I was working on a community engagement project um with some young people and some of the people who were working there they kind of pushed the bike along you know as you do with kids and I felt really vulnerable and really really um I felt really exposed and really seen Mm. But I managed to do a couple of pedals, I think, and then I got off and couldn't do it any anymore. And then during lockdown, I um, we were all out in the park and I said, I'm going to try and learn now. I'm going to try and learn. And so my kids were like, go on, mum, you can do it. You can do it. And so my husband held the back of the bike and ran behind me, as you would with a kid. And he just kept saying, keep pedaling. And the kids were going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And I did it. And I just, the the feeling was unbelievable. And every time I go out on the bike, which is almost every day now, I'm completely obsessed. Mm. Um, It just fills me with that 
kind of excitement and, and joy every single time that for my entire life I couldn't do this and now I can. I mean, it it can be so liberating, not only to learn a new skill, but also something that allows you to kind of be independent with your movement. And I think especially during lockdown, yeah. having alternative ways to travel can be really important. So I think I think it's wicked. Yeah, um, and you're I'm quite jealous. To... <laughs> I don't have a bike. Don't you have one? Yeah, and I bought a bike. And did you see I was in the paper as well talking about my experience? I did see that. <laughs> Within I a week. Like, yes, Sharon, represent. <laughs> Yeah, if you're going to do it, become do it the representative of bike people. Yeah, just within a week. Oh, I've pedaled a couple of times. I'm um, I'm now in the paper. Hilarious. But but yeah, I just um, I love the freedom it gives me. I like mm. I haven't been able to ride on the roads properly yet because I don't trust myself to ride in a straight line. <laughs> a little bit wobbly, but I'll get there. And a few people locally now know me. And how is the bike riding going? And oh, I, love I go it. out early um, on my own. And then sometimes I go back out again in the afternoon. I quite often go a couple of times a day when I can. Amazing. Congratulations Thank on the uh, the bike riding. I think it's, it's brilliant. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you as well, uh, because we're recording audio, people may not necessarily have seen your work. So I was wondering whether you could describe your collages. And also, would you... So when I look at your work, a few pieces seem to me, could they also be considered sculpture? Yeah. Because the way that you're using the environment around the pieces Mm -hmm. is very interesting, but I don't necessarily know how you're doing that or what exactly the medium is. Mm -hmm. So tell us more about what it visually looks like. So that completely makes me happy that you don't actually know what you're looking at. That for me is really, really exciting because almost it's putting the viewer into a space of having to investigate and think and um, having to process what they see before them. So I create handmade collages. Um, I usually work from, I create paper cuts. Um, They're usually quite intricately made. I often create them. Most of the series was created on my on an A4 cutting mat from my living room sofa, um, and that's because I didn't have the space, but also because it fits in with my life. And I was super busy in the day working for museums, etc. And and then my downtime was making. Um, so the paper cuts that use the image of a black woman as the focal point. My purpose is to elevate, um, my purpose in everything I do, whether it's working in museums or within this current art practice, this current series of seeing ourselves, is to elevate modernised voices, voices that are often unheard. And so um, the focal point, get there in the end, the focal point of uh, my pieces are black women. I am interested in nature. I'm interested in the idea of natural beauty and blackness being celebrated. And I think quite often mainstream media tries to represent us as a homogenous kind of Mm. entity. Um, So I use images, cutouts, magazines and combine them, but combine them in a way that... um, it's quite intricately cut and, and delicate and I sometimes overlay with 
a background so I might have a really fragile paper cut that's then overlaid with so I might place it in space and video it and move it around um, it's quite a difficult thing to describe but I hope that helps <laughs> I think that describes what's in my head really well okay. Um, okay, and I definitely would recommend everyone to go and have a look because I think you're right they are incredibly intricate and when you're putting them in the natural environment it makes a lot of sense if that's also something that is kind of inspiring or interesting to you mm. um, but there is something very 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 graceful around your, around your work and it's just stunning really stunning thank you in terms of the the representation of black women then why do you think it's important to do this within the arts because, I mean, I was thinking about this question. On the one hand, you would kind of think it's a bit obvious, right? Like everybody mm. should be represented in, in multiple ways. But actually, I don't know how often we even ask that question. Does that make sense? I think it's quite mm. important for people to be able to talk through their thinking around that and what it actually means for them. Well, I think for me, I just, um, you know, I am 45 and growing up, I didn't really see myself represented in mainstream media. So I'm going from my own experiences. Um, I do think that other people may feel differently if they're maybe younger or or just had different life experiences to me. But I remember looking through magazines and not seeing black women in natural Afro hair when I was growing up. I remember not seeing um, seeing black women in natural Afro hair, for example, on TV very often. Or the representations weren't very positive. Um, and every time I did see a positive representation my heart would almost leap, skip a beat. And that still happens. So with people like um, the iconic Edward Enninfield, um, who heads up Vogue and is changing that narrative, you can see that if someone like him is changing the narrative in 2020, and it's quite a, a kind of, um, it's a trailblazing thing to be doing it's very clear that there are disparities. We're not represented properly. Um, and in the arts, in, I work for a museum, I work for a few museums now, um, and within, the, within arts and heritage, when you go to museums, for example, how, or galleries, how many stories are actually shared from people of the African diaspora? How are they, how are they considered? Um, whose stories are told in history is something that I'm really is what my work mainly focuses on is who who is represented and who who kind of is erased from history um, and even when you go into the music, oh, who's working in those spaces what kinds of roles are they doing um, how are they treated while they're in those roles um, and I think with Black Lives Matter, I think it's brought a lot of this to the forefront and it's really elevated my voice, I'll be completely honest, it has, and that doesn't always sit comfortably with me because of the circumstances under which um, my work is now being considered off the back of these atrocities. But I am, um, it's something that I've been thinking about and working on for a long time. And it's clear that stories haven't been shared and I think it's a real opportunity to really shake things up and change the narrative. And that's the kind of work that I'm doing in museums is, is looking at um, archival material and working with communities 
and I absolutely love the work I do. So I've recently started working with the National Maritime Museum on a year-long project, and I have another project which I'm not going to talk about because it got put on hold because of COVID. Um, uh, but that was an amazing project. Um, yeah, I will talk about it. It was with the Garden Museum, and it was a Windrush Generation project, project curator for that project. Um, completely mind-blowing opportunity, but that's on hold. But I think everything happens for a reason, I guess, and mm. and this has just given me the space and time to um, to focus on on this series in a in a and 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 work on it in a very different way. I have a, a different approach to this series now than I had pre-COVID. <laughs> mm. I think there's so much in what you're saying, and I think the concept of space and time is something that could be really interesting for us to explore a little bit further but just to just to pick up on one of the things that you mentioned if it's okay to ask when, when you're talking about with the Black Lives Matter movement and it's changing how what is are you saying that it's changing the way people see your work how they're addressing it or can you tell me a bit more about the um the uncomfortable part of that okay so the uncomfortable part is around um people now saying that they have unconscious bias, um, which is a term that I don't feel comfortable with. Um, I think it's a more palatable way of saying racist because that's effectively what it is. Um, that's effectively what the term means. I was invited to Nottingham Trent University last year for one of their summer schools with PhD students to talk about unconscious bias. So this has been going on a while. It's not new um, as a term. But to talk about unconscious bias and talk about that within institutions, and I absolutely loved having the opportunity to do that. But I do feel that um, my discomfort during this time is because people are now saying they they didn't know, they weren't aware. Um, all of a sudden, our lives do matter. But my argument is my my life always mattered, and I find it disgusting that people gen people quite often didn't feel as though it was um, it was valid. Mm. And so my discomfort is around um, my discomfort is around maybe the idea that all of a sudden there is a lot of attention, but it's off the back of of um of George Floyd and that really really um that really hurts and also it's that discomfort when someone maybe sends me a dm and says oh have you seen this and it's someone sent me a dm which basically was black people being killed on their doorsteps um oh. yeah which is completely sick and i said please do not please and i was very polite and I wanted to use much stronger words, but um, yeah, so it's people sliding into your DMs or maybe saying, you know, I didn't know this was happening, but these are all the things I'm doing. If you're doing the work, do the work on your own. Do not ask me to help you do the work. That is not my job. I am, There are amazing anti-racism advocates out there and that's their job. Do not use my blackness as freeness for education because that's not what I'm here to do. Mm. If you can see things that maybe trigger or inspire you through my work, then that's great. But I just, it doesn't sit well when 
when I'm expected to do the work. Um, there's someone called Nova Reed, who is a phenomenal um, podcaster, anti-racism advocate, and she's currently writing a book. She's featured, um, well, she's mentioned, one of my pieces is um, named after her in kind of gratitude for all the work that she does and her her um, her link to Nina Simone. So that's the whole thing. But she does phenomenal work and I would highly recommend people follow her for that kind of content. Um, but, yeah, so that's where the discomfort comes from. Yeah, I mean, well said, definitely well said. I think it, it's interesting. I hadn't actually thought of that, the um, the unconscious bias thing. I think what one of the things I was thinking as you were talking is that it's almost like, is it the case that, I mean, I'm also thinking about space again and this mm. idea of people sending you DMs or expecting you to put yourself in a space mm. or to open up your space to allow other people to come in and what that mm. actually means for you it, it sounds quite invasive it's invasive um, and it's it's also trauma triggering as well I think what people aren't taking into consideration during this time is how um the impact this whole situation is having on us as black people or can have I'm not saying everyone's really experiencing it in the same way but it also triggers experiences that you've had in the past where you've maybe overlooked things or when you've now heard that other people are experiencing the same kinds of issues that you thought maybe you were fighting on your own within certain institutions. Um, and you're suddenly aware, actually, this is part of something so much bigger. I know that reminds me of the time when this happened and then this happened. So... Um, it's a particularly challenging time, but I'm glad that I have my escape through art to help me through this because it's the space where I've got control. Mm. And I think during these very uncertain times, people use that term a lot, during this very, <laughs> these very uncertain times, it's, um, I tell you what, it's a breath of fresh air. <laughs> but you were going to say something and I jumped in. Sorry, Vanda. No, 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 um, not at all. Um, Okay, so this is another area that I wanted to pick your brains about in terms mm. of your creativity and the way that you use your art to escape or to take control or, mm -hmm. you know, you've mentioned being mindful um, before. It's, it's kind of interesting because for me, I'm very sceptical of the language around mindfulness, um, mm -hmm. meditation. Mm -hmm. It's not really my vibe. But mm -hmm. I do concede that I am somewhat mindful um, in my own way, like whether that's mm. through music or exercise or whatever. Um, so when you're when you're practicing your art and your work, are you consciously, quote unquote, being mindful? Or I mean, what's the setup with that? Is it just something that comes naturally? Do you just find it cathartic, or is there a a specific deliberation in that? Does that make sense of the question? So is there almost like a, a specific setup or is that what you're saying? No, it's just it's just about how it makes me feel and it it forces me to be in the moment because mm -hmm. we were talking earlier, weren't we, before we started recording where our attention spans are pretty, pretty <laughs> short. And, um, yeah, my mind can flip from one thing to another to another and then because it's flitting constantly, it's almost like you've got too many tabs open. Whereas when I, cre when I create, 
those tabs just kind of fade a little bit, a lot, actually. Such and a good I'm, metaphor. It's a good one, isn't it? I'm on, yeah. I'm on, it must be my bike ride this morning that's got me so... It, it's a very 2020 on-point metaphor. <laughs> Too many tabs open. Too many tabs open. And I just... Um, Although I didn't make that metaphor up, Dom. But um, but yeah, definitely too many tabs open. But once I start to create, it forces me to focus, but forces me very gently to focus. And I can feel I can feel the physical changes happening. You know, my shoulders start to relax, my breathing slows down. Um, stuff that's going on around me doesn't really tend to matter. Um, it's just the most amazing feeling. Mm. And so that's why I've created so many pieces because I can't seem to get that feeling. Um, well, I'm very glad. Places. <laughs> I think the world is very glad that you're creating so many pieces. I mean, they, they are beautiful. Um, can you can you tell me a little bit more about, uh, you, you've spoken on, on different platforms and quite openly mm. around mental health as well, mm-hmm. and also your sobriety. And I'm wondering whether your art has had a particular, um, let's go with the word benefit. It's not quite the word I mean, but how how does your art practice inform or change the way that you feel in regard to your mental health and sobriety, if at all? Okay, it definitely has a massive um, impact. It... um... It just, it gives me another reason to be joyful. It gives me another reason to, um, not even always joyful, because let's face it, we're not always happy, but it just gives me another outlet. And it gives me an outlet where sometimes I don't have the words to explain what I really want to say, or I'm too exhausted, or I just feel worn down. I can just create, and I can... um, and I don't need to show anyone or tell anyone. I can just do it. And that is completely within my control. Um, the entire series was created during my sobriety. Um, and it really aids my um, my history of anxiety, depression, which I feel as though after becoming so, after, do you become sober? I don't know. After being sober, <laughs> uh I just feel a lot more clarity. I have to, I'm forced to feel basically. Mm. If I'm happy, I feel really happy. There's kind of no in betweens with me. I'm either really, really happy or like, mm, that's really getting on my nerves. But um, I have to feel all those emotions without celebrating it with alcohol or commiserating with alcohol. And that doesn't mean that I was drinking, you know, loads and loads. It, you know, sometimes I would, sometimes I wouldn't. But it was a really big part of who I was. Um, and it was a really big part of my friendship groups and my relationships generally. But I think with, by not drinking, I just have a lot more drive and I believe in myself a lot more. Um, it doesn't mean that I believe in myself every day. Let's not get it twisted. But um, <laughs> generally, I'm OK with myself and I'm just working on things day by day. I think it's really important what you're saying though as well in terms of the creative aspect because I think mm-hmm. a lot of people well there's two there's two elements that I'm picking up on number one is that to be abstinent or sober or teetotal whatever 
doesn't necessarily I think a lot of people assume about where that comes from and Mm -hmm. I do feel that with the work that the online sober community is doing it seems like it's just becoming a little bit more of a it feels more like a choice rather than it being Mm. I can't drink or you know I've had this horrific backstory with it it seems that people are saying actually that might not necessarily be the case it's just a Mm. choice that I've I've made for whatever reason but also I, I wonder whether there is some reluctance um or misconception that drugs and alcohol makes you more creative and a lot of people worry that if they're sober they'll lose that edge Mm. it's really interesting because I was on a panel only a couple of weeks ago with um club sober for their weekend long mind well it was a bit more than a weekend wasn't it mindful drinking festival and I was talking about I was on a panel with three others and we were talking about um about about alcohol and creativity and I I've just never I've never seen the benefits of drinking a lot with um creativity um and I have created while drinking obviously but I haven't thought oh my work would be so much better if I if I have a few glasses of Sony on or whatever (laughs) um so I guess I'm quite is it am I fortunate I don't know but that's just not been my experience but what I have found during this time is that definitely not drinking is um has helped me in so many ways Mm. it's helped me in in lots of ways it's helped me to feel more confident to um to experiment more to approach people to um you know to approach people to be in the series or to consider my work maybe or or to do podcast interviews like this. I don't think I would have been able to do that before. And also, even just the real basics of being able to create constantly. I don't think I could create using a surgical scalpel knife. I was just um, thinking that. Having, <laughs> having a few drinks. Mm, probably not going to work. <laughs> not advisable. I, no, not advisable. Um, and because I have to be so slow with the cuts at times because I'm trying to get them what I see is just right. I am um, I need to be completely hundred percent. Mm. And I think being a hundred percent means for me is not drinking. I and now a couple of years in I don't miss it. I don't I drink out of really nice glasses this isn't for everyone who's sober, but I, I like drinking out of glasses that look um, like I'm, you know, like I'm having a, like a, a cocktail. Yeah, I, I really like a gin glass. That's my favourite way of having a having a mocktail. And my son makes the most amazing mocktails with a full-on shaker and he makes a homemade cordial at home and, and really goes in with the presentation. Um, and he does that daily and that's something that we all share. And we've that's what started actually also during lockdown is is those special kind of moments that I don't think I would have had um previously talking of mocktails though uh yeah. I was thinking about this yesterday but I've got a question go you know like when you go to a cocktail or a mocktail bar or whatever or just my kitchen yeah. why do you clap <laughs> yeah. why is clapping the basil or the mint or whatever know. it is I don't think this is true, right? I don't see how it could. Why would you clap it? Do you know what I mean? I don't like, know. if you cut it, then it does. You can it smell it. A little bit. I don't know. I don't know. 
But yeah, I do like basil in my mocktails though. But I don't know. I don't know. I was practicing last night, clapping my basil. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I roll. That's how you roll. Party girl up in the place. (laughs) Clap that basil. Clap that basil. Yeah, I need to I need to stop telling everyone what I actually do in the evening because when people listen to this podcast, they're gonna be like, What are you doing with your life? Clapping your basil. I love it. Clapping your basil. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a t shirt though, clap your basil. yes yes this needs to happen that's <laughs> brilliant i like it a lot <laughs> i might have to do some googling later about why clap your basil um on the other note though in terms of seeing ourselves and i didn't know that that did that kind of like tie in with when you became or whatever word we're using for that got whatever sober as well yeah um, it did that's interesting yeah it did it was um so what happened was i had a well, I'll go back a little bit. I was training for a 10K run. I'd never run in my life. I had spinal surgery 15 years prior to training. Um, and yeah. Hang on a second. Okay, Sorry, people can't can see, see my face, face. You but I'm like... see your face and it just made me stop. <laughs> so like, what, what's happening here? Hang on. Let's not skip over that. I want to okay. know a bit more about this. Like how... So you had spinal surgery... Yeah. About... And then you're going to do a marathon without training? No, no. I was doing a 10K run, but I was doing training. And it was about 15 years after my surgery that I, a friend of mine, well, she was a new friend called Che. I met her in the gym and she, she was a runner and I really admired her. And she told me that she, um, I told her, sorry, that I would really love to run. And she said she would train me. Apparently, at this point, I didn't tell her that I previously had quite extensive spinal surgery. Um, and she said she would train me just as a new friend for free. And she was the most amazing trainer ever. Like She would run with me, and when she could see I was in a bit of um, trouble, she'd be like, let's look at the trees. What can we see around us? Look at the wonderful... You know, like, really, it was what I've heard is now, what I'm now what I now know is known as um, mindful running mm. and uh which I don't think was possible because I just thought there was only gasping and trying to get catchy breath and running <laughs> and so anyway so she trained me in four months to run from nothing to 4k 10k sorry I did the 10k run for charity it's the only time in my life I've ever run 10k <laughs> but she got me there and I raised a few thousand pounds for um charity um so yeah that's what happened with my running but during that time what happened was I remember her saying to me oh should we we'll do a run on Saturday and I said oh I probably can't on Saturday because I'll be hung over and she just stopped and she said but you don't have to be hung over on Saturday you can actually just have one drink on Friday night and I looked at her I was like who is she anyway I don't know people like this what's going on Anyway, uh, I gradually, with her really, she's got a really beautiful way about her, I gradually just cut down my drinking because I couldn't run. And at one point, I remember I was running every other day and I couldn't run with a hangover. So, you know, it would either be I'd be running on that day or I'd be resting for, you know, it just didn't work out. So when I did go to start drinking, 
my head would just hurt so badly, like from the back of my head right through to the front. And I just, my tolerance levels went down to zero. I had no, you know, it became so ridiculous that even having a sip of alcohol would make me feel really unwell. And so it felt as though the, the decision was almost taken out of my hands to a certain extent. But I had thought about not drinking for a while, but just thought it was completely impossible. Um, so anyway, after the run, after that 10K, the big 10K day, um, which was amazing, 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 amazing day. I um, And my friend Teresa from Scotland came down to run with me. So her and Che ran with me as my running partners on that day, which is the most amazing gift, I think anyone can give one of the most amazing gifts anyone can give you um within a month after that I got an ankle injury and during that no. those, yeah I got a, an ankle injury and I was absolutely distraught um and I realized that and I remember telling Che this that it felt like it was one of the first times in my life where I hadn't felt depressed during the period of time and you know, there were no dips at all and um running had really really helped me and so anyway I couldn't run and I remember thinking I don't know how I'm going to you know how am I going to sort out how I feel emotionally how am I going to manage my mental health and a few people on Instagram saying so so you know because they'd followed my little journey of running and uh, they said to me we should you know I was called London Artist One Uh, how about you make some more work start creating more and I was creating but nothing on a scale anyway I looked around the house had magazines and some cutting mat a cutting mat and and a scalpel knife and I started cutting out magazine pictures and every time I saw a black woman with afro hair I would cut them out of the magazine and then cut cut up pieces and layer up and create these collages and I did this continuously for a few months and posted on my um posted on my Instagram account and people were the response was amazing and people were really encouraging and really supportive. And it just gave me another euphoric high. And it helped me so much and I that's how the series started. So it started completely at the time when I stopped drinking and I was looking for another kind of outlet. Can we, just, from can we just take a moment to just acknowledge that what I mean so basically in what a year and a half mm-hmm. you found sobriety you yeah. ran 10k you learned to ride a bike and you also put out an entire art series I mean is congratulations even the word for that mm, I mean that, that's you. incredible that's that's really I have not done that with my year I've been clapping <laughs> you know basil you've been clapping basil babes um and you know what my I'm so rubbish with um compliments that my immediate response is thanks but it was probably a bit more like two years like that makes a big difference yeah it's hilarious hilarious. like like, oh it's all two two and a half whatever it is but yeah thank you um I'm learning to say thank you (laughs) do you know what it it is hard though to take compliments and I think it also comes back to space again because uh, one of the things I was thinking about when I was kind of thinking through this recording is what space means in a number of different ways because on the one hand you've got political space and representation Mm -hmm. Um, we also have artistic space and when I'm working with clients particularly women I find that performance artists for example 
before they even speak, they'll apologize. So they'll be like, oh, I've written this thing, but it's not very good. Or, um, you know, this is just something. It's not it's not my favorite thing. But where, but, it's like the they're just, isn't yes, it? Yes. 100%. Yeah. 100%. So it was, you know, it's just a year and a half, but it's actually more like two or whatever. Do you know what I mean? And, mm. and actually, there's also the element of online space and promoting your own work. So I'm obviously promoting this podcast at the moment and I find like, really, I'm cringing and I feel mm. terrible. But why? Like, we need to take space to talk about our work and why shouldn't we, you know, like it, yeah. it is it is important, but it is it's difficult to um, hear our own accomplishments. Do you have any thoughts mm. on why that is? I think I think it, there are a few reasons. I think society generally doesn't encourage women especially to take up space and have a voice there is that kind of old school narrative around being sitting pretty and being seen and not heard um it can also be to do with your upbringing about ideas around you know if you talk about your achievements too much you might actually have a negative impact and everything will disappear Mm. but you could also be seen as being too boastful um or People don't celebrate this kind of work. It's not hands-on work. It's not, you know, you haven't had to grind. They don't see it as real work, maybe. Um, It's about confidence. It's all sorts of, I think it's all sorts of things. Mm. But I am becoming more and more aware of it. I think I'm more aware of it since having a daughter, more so than anything. Um, And I think I also wanted to create I became a lot more aware of my own identity with having the kids, um, even though I've been making work around identity and and blackness for a while. I am. Um, I started to think more seriously about who who I am and and why I champion marginalised voices. Yet when it comes to my own voice, I'm a little bit more reserved it's like that's interesting so everyone else matters but what about you Sharon what is your voice what impact do you make um and do you speak up you make impact but you have an impact but do you always say how you're feeling but this this is so important this is okay this is weird because it's like hearing my own brain work number (laughs) one I completely relate to I don't really talk about my personal experiences openly or publicly pretty much at all mm-hmm. um and lately I'm starting to think well why should I like it's mm-hmm. it, some of this stuff is private and there are ways yeah. of expressing yourself and doing what you're doing it doesn't have to be as blunt as like what what is the alternative like what is even telling your story like does it have to be a face on monologue mm-hmm. can it not be in a a variety of, of different ways um so it, it's kind of it's really interesting that you're saying that um, and it's a bit of a relief actually to hear someone else thinking that mm. through as well. And I'm also coming back to this um, space again. I'm wondering and and what it means to tell your story or to think about where you're at. It seems that there's an interesting, um, let's say, I don't know, like a not a translation, but a movement between this the the private space of creating your work and what that does for you. But there's also the possibly the claiming of physical space by exhibiting Mm -hmm. and I'm really interested in what your experience has been of exhibiting um where you're exhibiting like how does the series work 
Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the the physical side of it as well, like the, the physical space? Mm. So um, when I think about physical space and the series, I immediately think of where I'm currently sitting to record this, which is my new studio, which is actually in my home. Um, and it's a space that I never really thought I would ever have. I didn't really see it as a space that was mine to claim or that was a space that's that could be seen as a studio because it's in the home, which sounds bizarre now I say it back to myself. Um, and it's a space I only got just before lockdown, so literally two days, three days before lockdown. Uh, I got rid of some furniture, gave some furniture away, brought down a, a table from the loft that had been sitting there for 12 years, <laughs> um, which was given to me by my um my nan before she passed away and uh, this is now the space that I use to work and I absolutely love this space. In terms of galleries I've worked with a number of different galleries most recently. I've only exhibited in a few places. Um, only. Only. I know just. I just realised it's just the same as just isn't it? It's just another word but also a kind of dumbing that you know dimming your light word. Um, yeah, minimizing. Yeah, minimizing. Minimizing our space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but just this week, I announced that um, I'm working with Will's Art Warehouse, mm. and they're based in Putney, and they now exclusively have eleven pieces of my work, ranging in size from A3 to A1, which for me is a huge achievement. And working with the gallery manager there. Called Rachel Ottenglati, who I worked with at New Ashgate Gallery last year. Uh, she hosted an amazing exhibition of African creatives. Um, yeah, in Surrey. First time anything like that had ever been done. A real trailblazer, and she's now at Will's Art Warehouse. And we've been building a relationship over the last year, and she offered me this opportunity. She had a studio visit here. Um, only a few weeks back where she selected, we selected some work together. So having my work, um, I think it will be seen mainly online, but working with a gallery that has a physical space um, is amazing for me. And coincidentally, Will's Art Warehouse is the only um, gallery newsletter I've ever subscribed to in my life. Um, you know, well, actually I've, subscribe to others because I'm part I, I'm a member of Tate but way back when that was the first one I'd ever subscribed to and um so yeah I don't know if does that answer your question yeah about? yeah it, I mean I I'm I'm wondering how you feel like how does it feel to be part of all these amazing projects and collaborations it feels really surreal at the moment it feels um like just before I got we started talking this morning after my bike ride I had a telephone <laughs> meeting and um a collector just bought a piece of my work and I am um, and it's it's a little bit mind-blowing um I feel really really I hate the word blessed <laughs> trying to think of an alternative why I do you hate like the word I'm, blessed 
I don't know. I, I feel like it's overused a lot. I think it's a mm. bit of a throwaway word at the moment. But I feel really grateful for the life I've got right now. Um, I do feel like I, I've, I work really hard for it. I do get up super crazy early every morning, six o'clock, I'm up, I'm checking emails, I'm getting back to people. I can sometimes start working on things. Um, and I, if I think back, the first time I ever delivered a, a workshop, it was a free workshop and it was probably about 25 years ago. And I wanted to work with children in schools and I've worked with children and adults. So what, the reason why I'm mentioning that is because I think sometimes people see your Instagram account and they think, oh, look, she's been doing that a couple of years and it's it's all just happened overnight. But it's been a really, really long process and it's been and the ideas around seeing ourselves have built up over a long period of time I feel happy I go through waves of emotions of feeling quite overwhelmed sometimes um and sometimes I'm so overwhelmed I might cry with joy and people and the kids might think I'm actually crying because something really sad happened and I'm, like, I'm just so happy uh, <laughs> but I think having the success during this time in particular is quite weird because you're not able to celebrate in the ways you would have been able to celebrate. That's how it, it felt for a long time. I've started to a little bit, went out for lunch with a friend this week, went somewhere really nice, which was good. Um, but yeah, I do feel happy. I feel as though I still have so much more to achieve though. And I think that's sometimes part of the problem I don't celebrate the fact you know I sold a really interesting piece of work today mm. and I think I need to sit sometimes with the emotions and let allow myself to feel properly yeah I I relate to that strongly um I'm definitely one for being like okay yeah but it's not enough like what's next what's yeah next? what's, what's next? next yeah it can be a it's quite a frustrating thing sometimes um it is time for what's the three and yeah. it is the variation of the question that I'm asking everyone. I've just decided to change yours, though. Do, 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 do. <laughs> what is it? It is my question to you based on what we've just been talking about. And I know that this might be initially uncomfortable, but I want to give oh. you the space pun, oh my gosh. to explore it and allow yourself to explore it. My question to you, Sharon, is what are three things you are most proud of oh that's a different one okay um okay I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that I don't usually say openly I think one of the things that I'm most proud of is um I don't usually say this <laughs> Okay, the thing that stands out that I can't actually get out of my head until I now say it is that I'm most proud of trying for my son despite having spinal surgery only three years prior to trying and for not giving up despite it not being very straightforward and not very easy. Uh, so I'm proud of that. Uh, I'm proud of I'm proud of seeing ourselves and the impact that it's had on so many people. I'm still 
completely blown away by the response to the work and the messages I get from people who buy pieces or commission pieces and uh, yeah I'm really proud of seeing ourselves and I'm proud of me and my little family really for making it through lockdown and making it through with love and with support and with um, understanding because it's not the easiest of times but I've realized during this time that everything I actually need in terms of love and support is right here in this home and I think for for quite some time I thought it was outside and it isn't necessarily always there mm. it's not always there um so yeah things are good outside obviously but I do think there's a lot of love and there's a lot of things that I haven't appreciated that are just right here in these four walls <laughs> I've got goosebumps again oh always <laughs> thank you for for sharing those three things and you know things that are personal and intimate in a number of different ways you know um and you know maybe in terms of the feedback slowly but surely we can all find ways of letting it sink in um because mm. it, it is hard and I don't know how often we get a chance to sit back and be like okay what am I actually proud of and sometimes the answers surprise you and sometimes they are mm. more about personal relationships sometimes their careers yeah. sometimes they're both like it's um it's an interesting I think that might be one of my favorite what's the three question really um, I thank you so much for that that's that was a really powerful question that completely threw me um but yeah it was really lovely to have that opportunity to explore that I think that's going to stay with me in a good in way a, yeah in a really really good way and a really um because you don't get to think about those things about what you're really proud of when you're so busy doing you're so busy being so busy you you are as well being busy as it were and active and doing and fulfilling things and creating and but what are you actually proud of that's um giving me that space to be able to consider that it's a real gift so thank you Vanda. I'm glad and just remember that although um thank you you just blew me a kiss but no one can see I'll blow you on that <laughs> um just remember as well is that the only reason why it's three is because of the podcast but there can be as many as you like you know like okay. why not go for the six thousand okay six thousand is going to be uncomfortable but you know who knows <laughs> yeah. I just start with three and and you can progress so Sharon tell us where can people find you where can people find out more about your work okay so you can find me on Instagram I post a lot um my Instagram handle is london underscore artist one or you can find me on my website, which is londonartist1.com. Um, you can also find my work at Will's Art Warehouse, but also, um, and I would visit online to see that. What's the other one I was going to say? The Black British Visual Artists website. They have one of my self-portraits for sale currently throughout the entire month of August. But um, my work is mainly sold through me. Um, I also talk about um, events and online events and things that I'm doing via Instagram. So it's always worth um, 
checking that out. Fab. And are you open to people just sending you a message if they're interested in, in commissioning a piece or if they want you to talk at events or? Yeah, if you if I'm just contacted via email maybe or DM, I don't mind either. Um, my email is london underscore artist one at mail.com. That's at mail.com. I always not get asked, Gmail. Is that I was like, not Gmail. Not do you mean mail. Gmail? <laughs> no, everyone always asks me that. I'm like, no, nah, I just mean mail. <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah. Mail. Yeah. And I have been asked to do a number of different um, workshops and talks in schools. Um, and I'm really keen to do that around portraiture and um, seeing ourselves series. So if anyone's interested in that, get in touch. I've got another pun. Sorry. Go not on, sorry. <laughs> well, in terms of all the projects that you're working on, watch this space. Yeah. Uh, pun. Yeah, <laughs> <pun>. <laughs> and uh, if you would like to follow me for some um, more puns, feel free. I am on Twitter now, which I'm not sure how I feel about it also I've got like 30 followers and I don't think any of them care about my puns um but (laughs) at Vandercanton that's w-a-n-d-a also Instagram at uh Vandercanton and my website is vandercanton.co.uk it's you know quite consistent at least just my name everywhere um thank you very much for listening to Throwing a Crowd with Vand and Sharon Sharon thank you so much for being here and for sharing such a variety of experiences and thoughts I have a lot of things that I want to kind of stew over for myself and I really appreciate you taking the time to share that with us thank you so much for inviting me on I've really enjoyed speaking to you Vanta thank you I'm glad don't forget to leave a rating and a comment on iTunes or wherever you're listening as this will help other people to find us and if you haven't already subscribe now on iTunes to keep up to date with the episodes as they are released we will see you next time